Today on Blue 58, the Packers have one thing going for them at quarterback right now. They've got a lot of them. So how do we sort through what to expect from these guys, given that most of them, maybe, well, almost all of them, aren't going to actually be on the roster this year? That's exactly what we're going to sort through today. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. I'm excited about this episode. We don't always get ones like this, but there's a lot of different topics that I want to talk about today. Three main things I want to hit on, each of them very different from the one before them. Starting with a word that the Packers may be working on an extension for Devontae Adams. Now this seems like a foregone conclusion here. This was one of my predictions for 2021 that the Packers would have a prediction or a, uh, a contract extension done with Devonte Adams before training camp at least wrapped up. I may have even said before training camp gets started, the, the, that may happen, that may not. Uh, but it seems like every year they do a, a contract extension of some type, right as training camp is getting underway. And I think this year it's going to be Adams. And it sounds like, at least according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, that the Packers are working on a contract extension with Adams. What does that mean exactly? Who knows? It could mean all sorts of different things. Maybe they're talking to his agent. Maybe they're actively hammering out the details about a contract. I do expect it to get done at some point. When that point exactly will be, probably sometime in the near future, but who knows Precisely. But let's talk about some of the different implications of this contract. First, an extension for Devontae Adams is probably going to show us a lot about the shape of the cap for the Packers and for the NFL down the road. Now, presumably, most of the big money in this contract is going to be in 2023 and beyond. 2021, obviously, this is the last year of his contract. 2022 would be the first year of the new contract. Then 2023, is his age 31 season there and beyond is when things probably start to, to really pick up. Maybe even in 2024, you're looking at a bigger spike. So I've seen the number $28 million per year float around a little bit, maybe more around like $25 million per year for Adams without, you know, diving too far into that. You know, a lot of these numbers are going to be mostly fake. A lot of these numbers um, are not going to reflect what he's really making. But even if it is that much, a lot of that is probably going to be hitting the Packers cap after the expected jump in the cap due to the new TV deals, due to money coming in via gambling revenue, and via money coming in via streaming, which I think is going to become a bigger and bigger deal here in the next couple of years, bumping up league revenues. There's been talk going around uh, in the circles of the internet where I hang out this year, or I guess not this year, just generally in in following football stuff, that uh, teams could be valued at 8 to $10 billion each due to the increases that are going to happen uh, in the league due to gambling revenue and streaming revenue. That is an insane jump from where they are right now. That's straight up doubling what a lot of franchise, franchises are worth, if not more. There's going to be a lot of money to go around, and if the cap bumps up a little bit or a lot... Maybe $25 million doesn't sound like all that much here in a couple of years for a top-end receiver. Secondly, an extension is going to show exactly how difficult next year is going to be. So the Packers have some hard choices coming next spring. Everybody knows they're in a cap crunch. The structure of this deal is going to show where the Packers fit Adams into that picture. Is he a long-term guy, a super long-term guy, or is this one of those five-year contracts that's really a three-year contract that may actually just be a two-year contract sort of extension? 
we're going to get an idea about that when the uh, when the cap numbers really start coming out. Finally, whatever he gets paid, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Devontae Adams ages through his third contract, whether that's with the Packers, with Aaron Rodgers, with the, whether that's with the Packers, with Jordan Love, or heaven forbid, that's with another team. He is going to be an interesting prospect to follow because if you compare him to recent greats in Packers history, he is a horse of a different color. Look at him compared to, well, just dating back to the turn of the century. Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams. The closest comp, honestly, for Adams is probably Cobb. Short area quickness, not necessarily a deep threat, uh, a lot of yards after the catch, but combined with route running and vertical explosiveness that none of those other guys can match. Ad, uh, driver, a little bit more of a slot guy probably, but still better long speed than Adams. Jordy Nelson, probably the preeminent deep threat after James Lofton in Packers history. Adams can get down the field when he has to, but he relies on a lot more of the short game than any of those other guys on the list. And I think that's why his game is probably going to age pretty well. If you're relying on spacing and just release off the line and positioning as the three things that are going to get you open the most, as opposed to just long speed, long developing routes, I think there's a good chance your game is going to age pretty well. And I think that is why the Packers are probably a little bit more interested in keeping Devontae Adams into his 30s than they maybe have been about some other receivers in the past. Nonetheless, I am encouraged to hear the Packers, at least in the like bare minimum sense, are working on a deal with Devontae Adams uh, because retaining your talent is always a good thing. And I think there's a good chance that Devontae Adams is a high-level contributor uh, for a long time to come. Let's talk about something completely different quarterbacks. I said on the last episode we were going to start with our setting expectations series. The first position group I want to talk about after touching a little bit on the front office is quarterbacks. Setting expectations obviously important, like we said in the last episode. How do you know what you want from people if you don't decide in advance what you expect from them? How do you know if they're measuring up if you don't know what you expect from them? So a little bit unlike Uh, the front office, we're going to break down our expectations for players into three categories, guys that have high expectations, guys that have moderate expectations, and guys that have low expectations. Within those three categories, there's going to be a a fairly wide set of variations. Aaron Rodgers is a player that we have high expectations for, but his high expectations might be different than, say, like even another high-end player on the Packers, say, Jair Alexander. We probably have high expectations for Jair Alexander this year, but just because of the position he plays compared to Aaron Rodgers, the expectations are are a little bit different. Okay? I think that everybody kind of understands that instinctively. Secondly, this year we're going to add a little bit more towards what the high expectations or whatever level of expectations look for for each guy in particular. I want us to be clear about what we're hoping for from each guy because that makes it easier to decide if they've uh, measured up to those expectations. So we'll do high, medium, or high, moderate, or low expectations, and then what does that look like? Just try to answer the question of what a, a season of high expectations looks like for a given guy. So let's start with the quarterbacks. 
I'm operating under the assumption still, since he's on the roster right now, that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the Packers' starting quarterback. And as a result, we've got to have high expectations for him. Obviously, yes. Why wouldn't our expectations for Rodgers be high? It's always going to be high because he's Aaron Rodgers. And that's what comes with making the money he does, winning all the awards that he does, being a starting quarterback in the NFL. You're just going to face expectations of that level. But what does that look like? I think for the Packers and for Rodgers in 2021, if he's on the team, the expectation is that he needs to play at or near an MVP level. Given that his return to the Packers is probably going to come with a contract extension and a whole bunch of money with it, given that he's coming off an MVP season, given that they've gone sort of all in on this year's roster, they need him to be that good again. That's what the expectation is because the Packers want to get to the Super Bowl. And I think as we talked about during the playoffs, if you want a real chance at winning a Super Bowl, you've got to have a quarterback playing at or near an MVP level. It's what we saw in the Final Four last year. You had Aaron Rodgers, you had Tom Brady, you had Patrick Mahomes, and you had Josh Allen. All four of those guys, legitimate MVP candidates in their own ways. Statistically, we're probably looking at, uh, if not an MVP season, uh, maybe one of the seasons following when Rodgers won MVP for sort of statistical output. So he won MVP in 2011 and 2014. 2015 is not a good example, but 2012 is following an MVP season. Uh, That year he threw for 4,300 yards and 39 touchdowns. In 2016, two years after winning the MVP, uh, taking out the, uh, I guess, kind of slump that 2015 was, he throws for about 4,400 yards, 40 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. I don't think those are unrealistic stat lines to expect from Aaron Rodgers heading into 2021. What about the guy who should probably be his top backup this year, Jordan Love? I think we've got to have high expectations for Love this year, but in a different sort of way. There are two paths forward for him this year. First, Aaron Rodgers comes back. If that is the case, it's still okay to have high expectations for Jordan Love. The Packers traded up to get him in the first round. He is still a by all accounts, high-level quarterback prospect, there should be high expectations for him, as there should be for any first-round quarterback prospect. So what does that mean? Well, if Aaron Rodgers is back and Jordan Love is going to be the backup, he's got to come out and be solid to very good in the preseason, then hold a clipboard very well. Even if Rodgers is back, it's important for the Packers that they not look stupid for selecting Aaron Rodgers. Even if you re-sign Aaron Rodgers, smooth over all the bad blood with him, if Jordan Love comes out and looks like a bum, then Aaron Rodgers' position, even after re-signing a contract, probably becomes even stronger. Yeah, look at this guy. He can't even play. Look what you'd have been in in for if I hadn't come back. What a favor I did you. Jordan Love has got to play well, or the Packers going to end up with more egg on their face uh, even than they, they may have already. But what if Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back? First, Jordan Love's got to be good enough for the Packers to at least make the playoffs. Statistically, nothing else matters. Uh, he's got to be good enough to get them into the postseason. And if he can't, he might as well retire, because I don't know if there's any coming back from that. The Packers went as close to all-in as I think we've ever seen them this offseason. If Jordan Love is the starter, and he you know comes out and plays so poorly, they go you know 9 and, what is it, 8 now, or 8 and 9, or, you know, around 500 and end up on the outside looking into the playoffs, good luck saving your career from that, especially given that the Packers are probably looking at a teardown uh, the following year 
Uh, probably a little bit of hyperbole to say he should retire, but if Jordan Love doesn't come out and play well as the starter in his first season, it is going to be tough to come back from. Takes are going to be hard. So what does that look like? Well, option one, say if he comes back, let's remember what Brett Hundley looked like in the 2015 preseason. The offense that year for for Hundley was really, really simple. He was doing a lot of single read sort of stuff. Uh, Just pull it, uh, pull back the snap and throw it to the first guy you see, but he played really well. Option two, if he's the full-time starter, I think Jordan Love is going to want to emulate Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill is efficient. He's in command of the offense. He's athletic, can run around a little bit, and he mostly can stay out of the way, which is probably the most important thing that he does. He can attack defenses down the field, and he doesn't hurt the Titans uh, when he's throwing the ball regularly. That would be great if Jordan Love could be that sort of player right now. Can he be? Sure, why not? Will he be? I, I wish I knew. If I knew, uh, we'd probably get a lot more downloads on this podcast because I would have some kind of inside information that nobody else seems to have. What about Blake Bortles, presumably the number three guy right now? I don't think you can have anything but Blake Bortles or low expectations for Blake Bortles. I almost that's, that's sort of telling in and of itself. I almost substituted the phrase Blake Bortles for the word low expectations or the words low expectations. That is kind of the summary of his career to date. Uh, But really, if Blake Bortles is playing meaningful snaps for the Packers in 2021, a a number of bad things have happened. So through no fault of his own, we kind of have to have low expectations for Blake Bortles because if he's getting playing time, it really doesn't matter uh, because things have gone terribly wrong already. What does that look like then? Well, making the 53 would probably be a good sign for him. If he plays well enough that the backers are like, we got to keep this guy around, I think it's probably a huge win for Blake Bortles. But beyond that, let's just hope we don't see him at all in 2021. Moving down the depth chart, let's talk about Kurt Benkert. Seems like a fun guy, has a fun social media presence, likes video games, uh, apparently owns a set of Master Chief armor, which is pretty cool. Uh, really speaks to me as someone who grew up kind of playing that game. I remember, man, it makes me feel so old thinking about uh, how revolutionary Halo seemed when it first came out, and now it it's just another thing. Um, time flies. Uh, but anyway, Kurt Bankert, um, more than a camp arm for the Packers, I think, and not a lot more. I mean, you need a certain amount of guys just so you can run practice. Benkert seems like he's got a little bit more talent than that, but not a lot more. And certainly probably not enough to challenge for like the number two spot and any meaningful playing time this year for the Packers. As a result, low expectations. For th- for him, I think meeting expectations probably means making the practice squad. Uh, and it's probably going to be him between him and Jake Dolagala to make the practice squad, and I think Benkert's probably got the inside track there. He just seems like he's a little bit more physically talented than Dolagala is, but uh, you never know. Uh, he's done it before. He's been around a program before. He's a pro football player. He knows what teams need to get it done. Seems to have been pretty well regarded in Atlanta, too, so uh, probably has the inside track on that job. But if he can make the the practice squad good, if he's good enough that the Packers say, yeah, we probably don't need Blake Bortles around Kurt Bankert, you're our number three guy, and we're going to keep you on the roster, so much the better. Good for him. Uh, let's wrap it up then with Jake Dolagala. Low expectations here. How could they be higher? Uh, kind of a journeyman already, somehow, here in his semi-second NFL season. 
the expectations got to be just look like a competent quarterback, maybe steals some reps from somebody up the depth chart uh, at some point. But if Aaron Rodgers comes back to town, I think we are saying goodbye to Mr. Dolagala just shortly after we've gotten to know him at all. So there you have your quarterbacks. High expectations for Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. Low expectations for pretty much everybody else. Quarterbacks are passers in the 2021 NFL. Let's rewind the clock to when, in college football at least, they were pretty much anything but. We are diving into Chapter 5 of Blood, Sweat, and Chalk by Tim Layden, a reminder that we are doing this book club, discussing a chapter of this book each and every week. If you want to participate, uh, get a book and uh, read along with us. We'll be discussing a chapter every episode. If you want to go deeper in your discussion, join our Discord server. Got to be a patron to do it, though. Patreon.com slash the power sweep. Contribute any amount, and uh, you will be invited to the Discord server to hang out with Packers fans from all over the world. I recommend it. It's a good time. But Chapter 5 of Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. Overall impressions, I think we've got to start out with a great quote uh, that kind of sums up the entire spirit of offensive evolution. Quote, all of a sudden, every play can be a touchdown. That was a Texas coach talking about the kind of adoption of the the wishbone and and later uh, flexbone offenses. But really, that seems to be the goal of all offensive innovation in football. Why get a few yards when you can get a lot of yards? Seems like a good approach to me. And it seems like a good summary of why these teams have gradually evolved into more scheme-based offenses. Not so much about putting your just the best players on the field, but putting the best players on the field in a position to really do what they can do best. Diving into some of the details of this chapter, uh, talking about the flex bone and and things related to that uh, is a fun trip down memory lane for me because I had a a couple of interesting run-ins with this offense in, in my football watching career. The first time I ever saw the Flexbone offense in person, it was the first offense that I ever saw that made me feel some of the things that are talked about in this book. If you've grown up watching, you know, the West Coast offense, Mike Holmgren, Green Bay Packers, and really the entire NFL at that point, what are you seeing? Straight drop back passing, uh, play action fakes, uh, statuesque quarterbacks, you know, big guys, big arms, guys running deep down the field, long passes. Compared to that, the flexbone offense looks like witchcraft because there's people going every direction. This guy has the ball. No, actually, this guy's got the ball. We're going to make it look like we're giving it to this guy. Then we're going to spin around and give it to this other guy. And then I'm going to be running down the field and maybe I'll pitch the ball. It looks absolutely insane. And seeing it in high school for the first time, it was a a mind blower. It it just didn't look like anything I had ever seen before. It was crazy. Then in college, doing play-by-play for football, the Northwestern College Eagles go on the road, and we run into a team that runs the flexbone offense. And by golly, that is a hard offense to describe over the radio as it's happening live in front of you, because the entire goal is to make you wonder who has the ball. Well, that is an awful mean thing to do to a radio or TV broadcaster, because they end up there in the booth looking like a big dumb idiot because they don't know who has the ball. Obviously, it's confusing for defenses too, which is the entire point. We can't 
not mention a significant development that kind of gets glossed over in this chapter. Layden talks in depth, well, not in depth, for about a paragraph and a half about Alabama going through great pains to adopt the wishbone in 1971 after a few lackluster seasons and then dominating with the wishbone and other things uh, like it for the rest of the decade. And that is certainly true. That is definitely something that happened. But something else important happened for Alabama in 1971. They integrated their program for the first time. Prior to that, they had been an all-white program for a long time. At the end of the 1970 season, Alabama got torched by USC in sort of a not quite bowl game, but uh, USC ran all over Alabama, and they did it using black players. And the next season, Bear Bryant decided he'd like to do that too, and you know the story from there. This is not to dunk on Tim Layden. This is just a part of the story that needs to get mentioned because it's a very significant thing in the SEC and for Alabama football specifically, and it's not quite accurate to just chalk their dominance up in the 1970s to just running the wishbone. They also made another significant change there as well. Barry Switzer, one of the banes of the Packers in the in the 1990s with the Dallas Cowboys, got his start, or really made his name, at Oklahoma, and he talked about in this chapter using the wishbone to get his best athletes on the field. There's a couple regularly used lines uh, from Mr. Switzer that came up in this in this chapter. Uh, a track meet and half a hundred. We're going to stage a track meet and try to hang half a hundred on, on your opponents. And that's just something kind of related to that to that idea that we've talked about dating back to chapter one. You know, we talked about Jim Thorpe and um, the players at the Carlisle Indian Academy running the single wing and doing great with it. And it's great that they had the single wing, which worked really well, but it was even better that they could run it with Jim Thorpe. This is the 1960s, 1970s versions of that. Systems are great. Players are better. But the best is getting a system that can maximize your players. And whatever that system happens to be, that's what you should be doing. It's not find a system, then find players. It's find a system that fits your players. And then build from there. Speaking of finding players, recruiting came up again in this chapter. And it's kind of a shame that it seems that we've been deprived of a lot of interesting stuff for really boring reasons. You know, recruiting is a really boring reason to switch offenses. Uh, The idea that offenses don't go out of style or don't stop working, they just go out of style, came up again in this chapter. And that is just a really accurate summation of how football works a lot of the time and a really unfortunate reality uh, of how things work. But that's life sometimes. Isn't that really how life works? We're deprived of a lot of fun, interesting things for really boring, mundane sort of reasons. But that's the way it goes. Finally, Packers Connections. Larry Larry Beidel gets, an, uh, gets a mention. He was an assistant to Lou Holtz at William & Mary and was the offensive line coach for Mike Sherman with the Packers from 1995 or 1999 through 2005. Some good offensive lines for him to work with in that stretch as well. I enjoyed this chapter a lot, and we are in for a big change with the next one as we really start talking about the passing offense and Don Coriel and uh, his influence on the passing game as well. But that is a conversation for another day because that's all I've got for you. Uh, on this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and there's things someone else you think would enjoy it as well, I'd appreciate it a lot if you would pass this along to them, get them to 
subscribe and tell some of their friends as well, because that is the number one way this program grows, uh, by you helping other people find it. I'm really grateful of anybody who does that and really grateful for anybody who wants to get involved in this conversation we're having around the Packers, because getting more people involved is how we all, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.